0: It's our prayer that this message from God's word will deeply impact your life. Hello, everybody. My name is Amitabh. You can call me Amit only in Starbucks. My name is John. Otherwise, Amitabh or Amit will do. It is great to be with you. For those of you watching us online, thank you for joining us There are people from all around the world and there are people from our beautiful country right here in Canada who join us online and welcome to you. If you have a question during the service, uh, do reach out to your online chat host and we'll be there to answer them for you. If you're new right here in Portico, uh, right after the service, do take the time to come to our Welcome Atrium Cafe. It's on the right-hand side of our main door. So just walk up right there, I'll be there, Pastor Joshua will be there, and we would love to meet with you. If your Bible is out, that is great. Uh, If you have not downloaded our church app, do download it. The good news is, in a week's time or two weeks' time, we'll uh, we'll be releasing our new church app, which is exciting news, but we'll wait on that news a little later. But right now, you could download the app. The good part of that is, you can track all the events, you can also follow the notes, you can fill them up and send them to yourself. And then you always have the sermon notes in your bulletin to help us move along. We are in a sermon series titled, Character Counts. A few weeks back, Pastor Doug, our senior pastor, looked at all the pastors. He needed someone to talk about humility. Pastor Doug said, I'll do that. (laughs) Then he looked at all the pastors and he needed someone to talk about confidence. Pastor Doug said, he'll do that. Now, Pastor Doug looked at all the pastors for the third time, and this was going to be a tougher pick. He needed someone to speak about patience, and he was looking at a pastor who would exemplify all the characteristics of patience. So his eyes, his gentle, loving eyes rested on me, and I can add with both humility and confidence that Pastor Doug said, Amitabh, why don't you speak about patience? So here I am. Next week's pick was going to be even more difficult. How many of you would like to know the title of the sermon for next week? Yes. And how many of you want to know who got picked up to speak next week? Fantastic. Here's the good news. You will have to come next week to find out the answer. (laughs) Now having put that to rest. Let me take you back in time. About 3,500 years back, we had Moses and he was using the tablet to write the Ten Commandments. Then came the scrolls. The, The invention of scroll was a huge development in writing. Instead of writing on clay tablets, now we could write on papyrus. And then we could roll them up easier for storage and transportation, Bible, and virtually every other book until the first century AD was written on a scroll. Greek New Testament started being translated, handwritten, in Latin, Coptic, and other languages. And we have now discovered twenty to 25,000 New Testament manuscripts written on scrolls. And written on codex. So the next came codex. You're going to go, what is a codex? A codex is bound on one side, and then it has got a cover on the front and the back, and then it has got pages that you can turn and flip, and you've got page numbers. Since you have a group of pages, all bound together, which open on a hinge, you can hold it in a hand, and the reader is not struggling ...to roll and unroll the text, which you had to do if you were using a scroll. The period between the end of the 1st century AD and the 3rd century witnessed a great technological struggle. There were some who advocated the scripture should be written on a scroll... ...and the others who said it should be written on a codex. Although codex as a book was not invented by the Christians... It was popularized by the Christians. Dr. Daniel Wallace, American professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, he tells us that in the first five centuries of the Christian era, 80% of all Christian books were written on a codex, and only 20% of all non-Christian books were written on a codex. For probably the only time in the history of the church... Christians were ahead of the technological curve. Now, young people listening to this message, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Chances are you have never seen a codex. You're with your iPad and your smartphone and you're looking at us who are older in age and saying, we've got it better. You don't. You have just gone retro on us and you've gone back to tablets and scrolling which we used to use 3,500 years back. (laughs) And that's all right. (laughs) Professor Daniel Wallace narrates an account of a rare purple codex Greek manuscript. Since 1971, Codex Purpureus Britannus has been safely preserved in the National Archives in Albania the Albanian National Archive building. It's in Tirana, Albania. We only have six purple codex in the world. Only six. This purple codex Greek manuscript from the 6th century was written on a parchment, and that was dyed in purple and contains the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. From 1356... Purple Codex was at St. George Monastery in the mountains of Berat in Albania. All the letters in this particular manuscript was written in real silver or real gold ink. We need to marvel at the amazing technology as to how these ancient scribes could write in gold ink or silver ink. All the words in the purple codex, were in silver except for four words. God, Lord, Jesus, and Christ. These four words, God, Lord, Jesus, and Christ, was painstakingly handwritten in real gold ink, which instantly tells us what, the, what these scribes thought about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God, And Lord. The museum director of St. George Church in Berat, Albania, that used to be a monastery, narrates this true incident. In 1940, during World War II, Adolf Hitler found out about this rare and precious purple codex. Hitler sent a Nazi general and with a number of soldiers to the monastery to get this manuscript for the new museum he was building in Germany. The abbot of the monastery was not at the monastery at that time. He was visiting some of the local villages. He did not know about these soldiers coming. The Nazi soldiers gathered all the monks and old men from Birat village and lined them up. And then the soldiers pointed their guns at them and said, Tell us where the manuscript is or you will die. The first man said, I don't know. There was a pause. The gun was pointed at the second man. He was asked the same question. Where is the purple codex? The second man said, I don't know. Everyone down the line, every old man and every monk said, I don't know where this manuscript is. The general and the Nazi soldiers conferred for some time and then decided to pick up their guns and leave. For some strange reason, they did not shoot these people. They just left. This true story, and we will come back to the story at the end of the sermon, this true story provides us a sobering backdrop as we take a deeper look at our text this morning. James chapter 5, verse number 7 to verse number 11. Let me read that for you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Verse number 19. Brothers and, sorry, verse number 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of, the, of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Verse number 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. In the beginning of James chapter 5, James tells us of the situation faced by many in the early church. They were being exploited by powerful men. James condemns such men in the opening verses of chapter 5. In fact, they are very harsh words. Verse number 1 to verse number 6, James, James gives a strong message of judgment of those who have given themselves to a self-centered living. Now James turns to the believers, believers of Jesus as the pastor of the Jerusalem church from verse number 7 to verse number 11, and he tells us how we are to react. All of us, sooner or later, feel that we are victims of injustice, that we face injustice, and the Lord is being unfair to us. And it is in this context that we are confronted with the warm tones from Pastor James from the Jerusalem church, from verse number 7, and they are in sharp contrast to the harsh condemnations of verse number 1. Three times in these verses, verse number 7, verse number 9, verse number 10, James addresses the church members as brothers and sisters. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. He repeats the word patient four times, and in a compound form, making it mean perseverance twice more. So that four times in the text, James makes us responsible of being steadfast in obeying God. Four times. Be steadfast in obeying God. Be steadfast in obeying God. Be steadfast in obeying God. And be steadfast in obeying God. Patient is to endure patiently. The word describes an attitude which can endure Delay, bear suffering, and never give in. Patience is mentioned as one of the fruits of the Spirit. It is a characteristic that sets us apart as believers, sets us apart from the world. And yet patience is one of those things that does not easily come to any one of us. Number one, patience is the courageous anticipation for what God has promised Patience is the courageous anticipation for what God has promised. I think very strongly that one of the reasons we find it hard to be patient is because we forget what God has promised to us. We walk into a doctor's office, the doctor tells us there is sickness that you are facing, the x ray doesn't look good, and we walk out of that and we forget. ...what God has promised to us. We go to work... ...and we come out unemployed... ...and we forget... ...what God has promised to us. Patience is born... ...out of courageous expectation. And courageous expectation... ...means when the words of the doctor... ...is ringing so loud in your ears... ...and everything logically is telling you... ...this is bad news... Courageous expectation takes us a step further, and we believe in the promise of God. Courageous expectation means when you've just become unemployed, the word of God comes true in your life, and it takes over. And you have courageous expectation that He will provide, and you will find another job. That's why it's called courageous expectation. It needs courage to remember what God has promised James chapter 5, verse number 7, and verse number 8. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rain? Verse number 8. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. James is using farmer as an illustration to us of how patient is rewarded at the proper time. It is such a good example of the kind of patience believers must have. Now, in the climate of Canaan, there were two rainy seasons. In Canaan, the autumn rain, late October and early November, was necessary for sowing. And the spring rain, which was in the month of April and May, was essential for maturing of the crop. That is what it means here when it is mentioning the early and the latter rains. As we wait... Or as farmer waits for rain, we have a tendency to become discouraged or fall into self-pity. As we walk out of doctor's office, and now the doctor said we have sickness. Or as we walk out of our workplace and we are unemployed, and we have to wait, we have a tendency to become discouraged or fall into self-pity. James says, stand firm. Literally, strengthen your heart. The Lord will come and give you comfort and peace. Other illustration says, establish your heart, keep your hope high, do not lose heart, keep your courage. Acts chapter 1 verse number 6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Right now at this time, will will you restore? Disciples are waiting for restoration. We as believers are waiting and waiting is difficult. But we are reminded in the Bible that Lord's coming is near and in the scheme of eternity, not right now, but in the scheme of eternity, everything will be set right. So James chapter 5 verse number 9 says, don't grumble against one another. We as human beings are tempted to blame one another for the miseries of our present situation. James reminds us in verse number 9 that believers are to be patient about two things. We are to be patient with the outsiders who oppress and we are to be patient with the insiders who irritate us. Charles Swindoll, American author and radio preacher, offers four lessons from this section. I just love this. Number one, don't focus on the situation because you will become angry. Don't focus on yourself because you will be filled with self-pity. Don't focus on someone to blame because you will begin complaining. And don't focus on the present or you will miss the point of what God is wishing to achieve in your life. You will miss the point of what God is wishing to achieve in your life. Ephesians 4, verse number 2. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. When the farmer plants the seed, he knows that he is going to have a long wait before he will get to see the fruit of his labor. The farmer tilts the ground, then he plants the seed, then he waits for rain. If and when the early and late rain either does not come, or comes at the wrong time, or comes in excess, there is heavy rain, the farmer is tempted to doubt. Worry and complain. It took tremendous faith to be a farmer 2,000 years ago. And it still takes faith to be a farmer today. It takes tremendous faith to come out of a doctor's office and to be positive. It takes tremendous faith to be facing unemployment and to believe the promises of God. That is why it is such a good illustration of the child of God waiting patiently for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are encouraged to have patience like a farmer as good things come to those who wait. And if you want to remember this, write it down somewhere, good things come to those who wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Number two, Patience enables us to endure our present suffering. Now remember, the word there is endure, not disappear. It will not disappear. The suffering is not going to disappear. Patient enables us to endure our present suffering. Chapter number 5, James chapter 5, verse 10, 11. An example of patience in the face of suffering. So we are not the ones who are saying patience doesn't exist. We are not saying patience, I'm sorry, suffering doesn't exist. We are not saying suffering is an illusion. It's a maya. Don't worry. It's mind over matter. James is saying something completely different. He's saying an example of faith, patience. In the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. So the second example, the first is a farmer. The second, he's throwing in the prophets here. How many of you like seafood? you like seafood. So here's an illustration for you. You can hammer an oyster shell or you can take a knife and you can tackle the oyster shell. But one of the best ways to open the oyster shell is actually apply heat. Heat opens the shell within a matter of minutes. Sometimes, sometimes heat and suffering in our lives opens up our heart shell. It is painful but can also bring about healing to our soul. There is purpose in our suffering. Since suffering has a purpose and can help change the status quo, James is saying, let us be encouraged as you wait on God while in pain and actively listen to what God is doing with your life. James chapter 1, verse number 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Now, that's a tough verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when the doctor just tells you that you have a rare disease. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you've just lost your job. You go, how can James, how can the pastor of the Jerusalem church tell us that? James calls suffering not an interruption to our life, but the means by which we are changed and brought to the doorstep of pure joy. Remember John as a prisoner on the island of Patmos. He is not, in, he's not a prisoner in the island of Patmos because he did something wrong. He's a prisoner on the island of Patmos because he did something right. He's not a prisoner in the island of Patmos because he disobeyed God. He is a prisoner in the island of Patmos because he obeyed him. And, and John is saying, he was doing what, is, what God wanted me to do. And it is in this context, he goes on and writes Revelation chapter 1 verse number 9. John is in suffering, he is a prisoner. And look at how he writes, while in suffering he is giving the vision of the future, We run to the book of Revelation and we talk about the end times and we talk about the coming of Jesus and we talk about things will be set free. Think about John, while in suffering, has the vision, courageous expectation, overcomes his present suffering and can look to the future and present us the book of Revelation as a book of hope for the persecuted church. Look at what he says. John wrote... I, John, your brother, and companion in the suffering. So when you are walking out of the doctor's office and they have just told you you have a sickness. When you're just walking out of the workplace and you've lost your job, John is saying, hey, I am your companion right at that moment in suffering. I, John, your brother, and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 1 verse 9. Since our present troubles out, are outweighed by what is coming, Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 to 18 says, it tells us to go a step further and be strengthened. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18. I love this verse. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, the x-ray which the doctor showed me, by not what is seen, that unemployment letter the, the, the I just got thrown out of job, Our eyes is not fixed on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. The x-ray which is telling me I have a disease is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. James offers the prophets as an example. First the farmer, now the prophets as an example of those who were patient through suffering. If you study the New Testament Bible you will find the prophets of God were more likely to suffer than not to suffer. John the Baptist, he got beheaded. He was the cousin of Jesus Christ. Out of the 12 disciples, 11 of them were put to death, unnatural death. They were disciples of Jesus Christ. The prophets are more likely to suffer than not to suffer. James chapter 5, verse number 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, sorry. Brothers and sisters, that's correct. Verse number 10, as an example of patience, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I'm going to use two illustrations for the prophets. One, I'm going to talk about John the Baptist, and secondly, I'm going to talk about Noah. The prophets always had a difficult message that was delivered to difficult people, and they were delivered under difficult circumstances. Yet prophets were men who knew how to stand firm. Number one, let's take John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a loner, was shunned by respectable men. There must have been doubt in John the Baptist's mind when he was asked to say something. He must have wondered, am I the only one who's holding on to the truth while the entire nation is holding on to what is false? But yet they stood firm. Noah, he was asked to build the ark when there was no sign of rain. Can you imagine that? Somebody comes along and says, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building the ark. What are you building the ark for? There's no sign of rain. Oh, because God told me. We can't even imagine all the scorn and ridicule he must have put up with as he preached a message which nobody would listen to. Yet, James says, the prophets persevered. They stood firm. Romans chapter 12, verse number 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's that's a three-point message right there. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. James is not trying to get us to ignore or deny our suffering. It is not an illusion. It's not a maya. It's not mind over matter. Not at all. James is focusing our attention on God's redemptive purpose while we go through suffering. Your sickness or suffering is not an interruption to your life. It is the means and the mystery with which God is going to change you and establish your heart. It is the means by which you will encounter great, great joy in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Number three. Patience trusts that the Lord will be true to his character. Patience trusts that the Lord will be true to his character. James chapter 5, verse number 11. You have heard of Job's perseverance. Now that's the third illustration. First, it's the farmer. Second, it's the prophet. Now he's talking about Job's perseverance. You have heard of Job's perseverance. And have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job is offered as an example of endurance and the benefit of waiting on God. We, we have an advantage. We have the opportunity of seeing Job's life From the beginning right to the end. Right from the suffering to how God intervened with his blessings. That's the advantage we have and James presents that to us. James reminds us that the outcome of Job's suffering was good. James is reminding us that in spite of our present suffering, we can trust in God. Because the Lord is coming... We know that He will make all things right at the end. We can endure because we can trust Him. I'm encouraged when I read James and James talking about a believer's suffering. This life is not about super-Christians. What James is saying is something which speaks to me. (laughs) How do average normal human beings like us who are trying our best to follow Jesus, normal human beings trying our best to follow Jesus... How do we respond when life is not blissful, but bleak? If suffering is part of our life, then how do we find comfort in the fact that God will be true to the end? One of the things we need to remember during our tough times is that God does not change. His character does not change. In fact, when you read the Bible, God's character is consistent throughout the Bible. God does not change. Now, having said that we can trust in God's character because it does not change, please remember that this does not mean that we can sit and do nothing. Let me give you two two examples. If you lose your job, being patient does not mean sitting at home and waiting for a phone call. Let me give you the bad news. Nobody's going to call you. Sit as long as you want to. Nobody is calling you. You probably won't get a call from your future boss saying that he found your name sitting on his desk and he decided to call you and give you a job. No, you need to go out and look for a job. Trusting in God's provision and expecting that God will provide your need and land you a job. And as you go out remembering God's promise that he will provide, that is not being impatient. The second example... If you are in deep emotional pain, being patient does not mean isolating yourself from the church community and your growth group members and waiting to start feeling better someday, somehow. It's not going to happen. Being patient means opening your heart and your life to other people who will love and support you and will pray for you. Reaching out to those who will help you and will care for you, does not mean you are impatient and you're not trusting God. Right in front of your chair, you'll find there's a connect card we have. And then there's a place there where we say, hey, if you have a prayer request, please send us your prayer request. When you have a need, when you've lost your job, when you're facing sickness, writing a prayer request and sending it into the church so that prayer warriors can be praying for you is not a sign of impatience. You're opening your heart and saying, I'm expecting God to bring about rest and healing to my soul. And those who love and care for me, I'm going to let them know so that together I'll be able to find strength. A couple of chapters earlier, in James chapter 1 verse number 4, James says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In that verse, perfect does not mean sinless. It means mature, strong, having everything necessary to withstand the storms of life. Do you have everything necessary to withstand the storms of life? Patience produces the strength within us. James chapter 1 verse number 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, at some point during the sermon, I said, the chances are we don't have patience is because we forget what God has promised to us. So, what is our never changing God promising to do for you today? He promises never to leave you nor forsake you. God promises to work all things together for your good. He promises that morning by morning new mercies you will see and all that you need His hands will provide. Jesus promises to finish what He started in us. He who began a good work with us will bring it to completion. Malachi chapter 3 verse number 6 I the Lord do not change. The one, in, the one constant in Job's life is God. The story of Job parallels the entire biblical account. When Job is with God, it parallels Adam and Eve in the garden of Garden with God. When Job loses everything, it parallels Adam and Eve losing everything in the garden of Eden. When Job struggles, it's a parallel to Israel struggling. And since that God has not changed, the restoration God offered to Job or to the nation of Israel... Is available to you today. God has not changed. God's, Job's life demonstrates that God is full of compassion and is merciful. Full of compassion and is merciful. And yet these are the very qualities of God that we begin to question and doubt when our suffering continues. Exodus chapter 3 verse number 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 2 Peter 3 verse number 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. So Peter's recognizing there that some people will expect it faster than it's going to happen. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here is the key question. The question that confronts all of us is whether we are patient enough to trust that God will give us the best in the end. James is encouraging us in chapter number 5. He's writing words of comfort for us with a clear, clear appeal. Let us be patient. Let us stand firm. Let us endure. And for all of us, the message brings both hope and clarity today. We need less negativity, selfishness, and complaining. We need more humility, confidence, and patience. Allow me to close today by revisiting the story of Purple Codex. A couple of days after the Nazi soldiers had left Barat village in Albania, the abbot of the monastery came back after visiting the village. He found a long line of old men and monks standing outside his office, each of them came into the abbot's office. They confessed their sins for having, led, having lied to the Nazi soldiers. These old men did not know the Greek language. Yet they were willing to give their lives for a copy of the Greek New Testament. Even though we had gone past the time of printing press and they had the Bible already available in their language, they were willing to give their life for God's living word. The story serves as a reminder to us today that we have received all of this as part of a great spiritual heritage. Thanks to the sacrifice of men and women throughout the centuries, we are now recipient of God's word and its wisdom. So here is the question to you. The old men and monks were willing to die for a copy of the Greek New Testament, right? Can we go a step further and be willing to commit to live for Jesus who died for us. The words about Jesus from the Bible should encourage us. They should comfort us and should motivate us to live for him. Ask yourself, what changes do you need to make in your life now that you have been introduced to this loving, never-changing God? Jesus, James says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. All you need to say is a yes or a no, a simple yes. If you've never invited Jesus into your heart, let me encourage you to do so right now. All you need to say is a simple yes. At the end of the service, you can walk over to our welcome cafe on the right hand side of the door and you'll find Pastor Melanie standing there on the table. And the sign on the top of the table said, I said yes. And if you are saying yes to Jesus, just walk up to us and let us help you and let us help you move along. To the rest of us, what does this sermon mean? How do I apply it in our life? Accept Jesus, yes, but those who have already accepted Jesus, the application of this message is to undo a recent complaint. If I have to say it very bluntly, I have to say, stop complaining, complaining. If you are personally complaining of something, maybe a recent sickness or suffering in your life, stop complaining. I will urge you to repent. Repent of that complaining and make it right. Undo your complaint as best as you can. Unlike the monks in the monastery in Albania, we are not being called to die for him. However, we are all being encouraged by the pathway of humility confidence and patience that has been presented to us. Our character counts. As Pastor Duane said, the cross has the final word and may we go out with the assurance and live for him. God bless you.